Saturday. Yo, yo, yo. Happy Saturday. It is your boy, Arlevon Yates, a.k.a. Rev Young Yates. Right here I'm joined by the lovely. This is Miss Cam Nicole. You can find me on Instagram at Miss Cam Nicole or my professional account at Camry Butler. Here once again for another episode of Come See Real Quick. I think today we have a topic that we all need to see about. Something that I think everyone deals with, uh, whether it's directly or indirectly. And I believe uh, by the end of the show, my prayer is that we would all uh, be brave enough to start dealing with it directly. And that is the subject of trauma. Trauma affects us in many various ways, and we all have our uh, different types of trauma. But what I've discovered in my short time in living, sometimes because our experiences may not match those of another, we sometimes minimize our events to say that they're not as traumatic. Uh, just because they may not be as traumatic does not cancel them for being from being trauma. And so we're going to look at that and we're just inviting you all in to come see real quick so we can get a good glimpse of what trauma looks like and see if it affects our individual lives and how it affects us collectively as a whole. Absolutely. I definitely agree. Um, I would venture to say that most of us, if not all of us, have experienced trauma to some capacity in our personal lives. Um, even people who may you know, think that they've had, oh, well, I've had a pretty great upbringing, if not perfect upbringing. I think even with that, we've had some type of trauma. And I heard you say, like, some people think, oh, well, my trauma, you know, wasn't that bad. But just like grief, like we talked about the last time, just how grief is individualized and specific to a person. Trauma is also individualized and it's specific to a person. And it's never okay. You know, we're never, we're not in a, co a, a competition of my trauma is bigger or worse than yours right um because what may be bigger you know painful to someone it, it may not be the same thing to another person and so your trauma is your trauma and how it impacts you is very specific to you um and so I think this is a great topic today because like I said we've all experienced it and that trauma leaves a, a long-lasting impact. Um, and so according to the APA, or the American Psychological Association, um, trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event, um, like an accident, natural disaster, or crime. Um, and so trauma can be anything, right, from bullying, community violence, natural disasters, um, a, a worldwide pandemic, death, intimate partner violence, domestic violence, childhood abuse, sexual assault, medical trauma, poverty, right? Um, but I also think a lot of people when they, just when you say trauma, right? We automatically assume it's something that happened to me or something that happened to someone else. Um, but I want to invite us to also think about trauma being something that didn't happen, right? I didn't receive the love. I didn't receive the nurturing. I didn't have enough food to eat. Um, I didn't get the physical care, the medical care that I should have received, right? So it was, it, it, trauma can not only be what happened to you, um, but you didn't receive enough of something too. It can be the neglect as well. Um, and the neglect also has just as many negative implications and, you know, long lasting impact. Um, that's something that could have happened to you as well. I, I definitely, uh, I appreciate all of what you just said. 
because I think in a society that we live in that teaches us to be so self-sufficient, I think we spend, as humans, we spend more time rationalizing why things take place as opposed to just accepting that they took place. You know, mm-hmm. I, I say often that problem avoidance is not problem solving. And in order for me to mm-hmm. really attack the, the from the position of solving a problem, I have to be willing to acknowledge that there is a problem. And I think trauma itself is the problem. Not necessarily there's a problem with me. Uh, trauma just simply says that a problem has taken place, something uh, has went wrong. And though we may not be responsible for the trauma that comes our way, according to my good chaplain friend, Bill Hawkins, uh, we are responsible <laughs> for how we move after the trauma has occurred. And I think a lot of times uh, we live in such a taboo society where we specialize in sweeping things under the rug uh, that mm-hmm. we just avoid the problem. And over time, the rug becomes a mountain because mm-hmm. we, we pile so much under that and it gets to the point where we can't even walk over the rug. We have to walk around it. And I, mm-hmm. I think that just even the place of acknowledging the trauma in our lives is beneficial for our growth. You know, Mm -hmm. I I say all the time uh, that the best type of uh, fertilizer is manure. Mm -hmm. So it would suggest simply that we're going to have to go through some crap. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have a better way to to, to say it. We have to go through some crap in order to get to to our full fruition. And so I, I appreciate your outlook and your information on trauma because it just... It just simply says that nobody's really above it, you know. It has no respect of person. Uh, doesn't matter your age or stage in life. It can happen to anyone. It's not just from the uh, the clinical standpoint. Even the Bible speaks of that. Galatians 6 and 1 says, if a brother is overtaken in a sin, mm-hmm. uh, it's our duty who are spiritual to restore such a one, lest that can be us. Not suggesting that our trauma is sin, but just to say when bad things happen, uh, it's not always our job to act like they don't happen. Mm-hmm. But because you know if I believe all things work together for the good that doesn't believe that doesn't mean that I believe everything is good that believes that means I believe that it's a process of how things work together you know mm-hmm. before you can get to the finished product of shiny gold it has to be melted at 2000 degrees or hotter before you can get through to the shiny diamond that sparkles you got to start off with a lump of coal and you have to crush it beyond measure so you got to go through some stuff to, mm-hmm. to get to, to some stuff. And so I, I I personally, I have grown to appreciate and I am yet growing to appreciate the traumas that I've experienced in life just because I am learning from them. You know, mm-hmm. uh, knowledge is what you have obtained uh, and wisdom is knowing how to apply your knowledge. And wisdom usually comes from experiences. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but sometimes life experiences does present itself in a traumatic fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to go back to uh, what I heard you talking about, you know, wanting to know why. And I think that's one of the most difficult things for people in general and working with people for me is it's always why, right? Why did this, whatever the traumatic experience was, we want closure. Um, we want to make sense of this. And sometimes the hardest thing is because I think we connect acceptance with closure. Like if I can understand why this happened, um, then maybe I can move into acceptance. But because sometimes 
we don't know why and sometimes we will never know why like I'll we'll never understand probably this pandemic or you'll never understand maybe why you had to go through that trash relationship or you'll never understand why the the sexual assault happened and so it's really difficult to move into the place of acceptance right when you just don't understand why but as humans we really seek for closure um, and so that can be really difficult. And I really appreciate the way that you um, explain like the process, right? Yeah, we have to go through the process before we get to the good. It's not that it's just gonna, it is that it's gonna wor- all work out for the good, right? But it is the process to get to the good. Um, but that that's really the big thing with human nature. We connect closure with acceptance. And so I think that that's really difficult for us to do because sometimes we, and sometimes we just have to accept that the acceptance is I'll never understand why. And I have to work through the process um, to get to get to that place. Definitely. You know, I. Uh, I don't want to give too much of my sermon for the week, but. <laughs> but. It, it's along those lines, you know, as, as humans, even the lowliest, uh, the most humble, the most meek individual, as humans, we struggle with control because mm-hmm. we have a fear of the unknown. And so we seek to be in environments where we control. Right. And trauma does not present an environment where we can have a controlled climate. Mm-hmm. And even after it has taken place, a lot of times as humans, our initial innate response is to suppress it. Let's just act like it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But that's not going to change the lingering effect it has. It's not right. going to change the impact it has. It's not going to change the unresolved issues it may leave. You know, and, and I think that for me personally, you know, I, I took the time to do a self-study. And I've been learning, you know, that some things that I've, I'm dealing with as an adult, are direct consequences, I don't even want to use the word consequences, but are, are direct results of trauma that has taken place in my past that I've just chose chosen not to address. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more you choose not to address it, sometimes the more it just festers and grows. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Kind of like a cancer. You know, if you, if you, you know it's there, but mm-hmm. if you choose not to do anything, you run. run the you run that risk that it can stay still mm-hmm. in that controlled space, but you also run the risk that it can metastasize and spread to other areas of your life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so let's let's look at or talk about some of the symptoms of trauma, right? Um, so symptoms, right? Irritable, mm-hmm. irritable, irritable behavior and angry outbursts. Um, and this is not a um, a complete list. These are just some of them um, that I pulled from the DSM. Um, persistent negative emotional state. Feelings of detachment or estrangement from others. Um, problems with concentration. Hypervigilance. Sleep disturbance. Exaggerated startled response. Um, and socially withdrawn behavior. And as we continue the conversation, some of these things are going to come out um, and we'll talk about them more, but that's just, those are just some of the symptoms um, and how trauma can present themselves. Can you expound a little bit on the, the DSM for our listeners? Absolutely. So the DSM is the Diagnostic 
Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders. Um, and that is the really big book <laughs> um, that therapists um, use to diagnose, to diagnose um, individuals. Um, and right. that's just right. it in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, and I, I, I love that list that they that they gave because I know particularly in our culture, church culture specifically, African American culture, uh, secondly, we have this tendency to try to diagnose ourselves. It goes back to what I was talking about being in a controlled environment, so we can minimize it and try to control it. Mm-hmm. We try to we try to control everything, so we try to name everything into something we control. Oh, that's right. just the devil, the devil. So we can, we can pray that away, and and you know, prayer works. I believe it. I do, you know. But the things that you've noticed, uh, the things that you've uh, addressed just now uh, and noted from that list, you know, some of those things, if you don't address, it can turn into bigger issues. Right. And so, me personally, I want to. Um talk about two types of trauma because as I spoke to earlier, there are so many types of trauma, but I want to speak to two specifically. Um, One being childhood trauma and um, the second in light of it being October because it's not only Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which I think gets so much light and I appreciate that I have breast cancer survivors in my family, um, but October is also domestic violence awareness. Um, And so I kind of want to talk about those two things a little bit and kind of focus on those. So childhood trauma, um, experiencing childhood trauma um, increases increases the risk of developing anything from PTSD, depression, substance use disorders. Um, and it has actually been described as a hidden wound. <laughs> Surprising, right? Um, that can be carried on later in life, affecting the lives of individuals, um, lives for decades, if not resolved, right? So that's that unresolved trauma. Um, and I see that a lot because working with individuals, millennials who may have father-daughter wounds, mother-daughter wounds, that impacts the going back to that childhood neglect, right? Not only what happened to them, what didn't happen, right? Daddy wasn't uh-huh. there, mom wasn't there, had, I was abandoned, gave me up, whatever that issue was. It impacts the way that they build relationships. It impacts the way that they build friendships. And a lot of times I see them overcompensating right? A lot of them are high achievers in their career, but really struggle in relationships because I don't know how to formulate healthy relationships. I don't know how to communicate. I'm I'm emotionally unavailable or I'm dating people who are emotionally unavailable because of this childhood blueprint, right? Childhood wounds leave an imprint, right? Neglect leaves a blueprint. And I don't think people realize that all of us are, yeah, all of us are building our adult lives on the blueprint that was started in childhood. Um, And until we address these wounds, we continue to kind of attract and engage in relationships that are familiar to us. And we are reinforcing these negative beliefs we, we hold about ourselves. So if we were neglected, if we were abandoned, there's this underlying belief that I wasn't worthy. Dad left me. I wasn't worthy mom didn't love me like there's something innately wrong with me and so we attract these relationships um that reinforce these beliefs about ourselves and they feel like home to us right because that's what we were in um and so we're replaying these wounds trying to get a different result um trying to get someone else to love us because dad didn't love us Um, and so that's just one of the ways that 
some of that neglect really plays out and it continues to play out right until we decide I want to address this. I want to interrupt these patterns. I love that. You know, uh, when I worked with the school district a few years ago, there was this big misconception and it, it still lingers that children act the way they do because of their upbringing. Mm-hmm. But what we found out, a lot of children act the way they do because of the childhood trauma mm-hmm. that they experience. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I work closely with the diag- diagnostician as a behavior interventionist. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, prior to that particular time in the mid-2000s, that was the norm, you know, they had a certain way that we looked at kids and this is how kids are supposed to act. But we were finding out, didn't matter if kids had two parent households, didn't matter if they had what society would deem a balanced home life. You know, Mm -hmm. I would see various situations. Some, Some would have family, the perfect family image that some would say, but maybe their father or mother was committed too much to work. Absolutely. And, and that made them feel neglect. Yeah. Or maybe they had the middle child syndrome that made them feel neglect. Mm-hmm. Or maybe their other peers excelled athletically or academically and they didn't. I mean, and, and so it, it opened our eyes as a team of educators to see that there's not, there's no one cookie cutter way right. to try to diagnose trauma number one but especially childhood trauma Mm -hmm. and then to think of it from the lens that you gave because you work with millennials I began to wonder I said when you look at it from the lens of childhood trauma and now we see most people in their adult life you wonder how many people are walking around with unresolved childhood trauma Mm -hmm. as society we call it baggage but the reality (laughs) is Everybody has something that they may be dealing with, mm-hmm. but but we lean on society to deem or validate us whether it's something acceptable or not, or politically right. correct or not. Mm-hmm. But if I'm dealing with something inside of me, I should need an external validator, but right. that's just the society we live in. But right. I thought that was very interesting, the way you address that childhood trauma specifically neglect because I because it happens more often than not Mm -hmm. and I love I love what you said about like there's this uh, misconception that oh well they they have a two-parent home right mom and dad was physically there but how did they show up emotionally right did they were they just throwing gifts at the child right because Uh children Mm-hmm. children want your time they're they, children's most children's love language is quality time they don't care about you know the money or the gifts that you gave them did you put them to bed at night did you read them bedtime stories did you show up to their extracurricular activities like that's really what children focus on yeah they may like the gifts at birthday and christmas but really what children want is your time your attention your affection and so just because mom and dad were physically in the house doesn't mean that they showed up emotionally and the emotional neglect leaves wounds and it shows up when children turn into adults and trying to formulate romantic and platonic relationships. 
it shows up. And some of the ways that it shows up, individuals are primed for abandonment, afraid that someone, that their partner is going to leave them, afraid that friends are just going to up and leave them, primed, primed to be ghosted. That's how we say it, right? Exactly, yeah. Another way it shows up, difficulty expressing and managing their emotions. Because it wasn't fostered. Mm -hmm. If mom and dad didn't teach me, and if they didn't model it, right? Did, Did mom and dad have a difficult relationship and they modeled that for me? How did I learn how to manage and express my emotions? Right, right, right. Consistently shape shifting. Mm-hmm. Learning how to change with the environment. Constantly being who a person needs me to be to maintain peace. Being too mm-hmm. tolerant. Yeah. And constantly dating over and over again trying to suppress the trauma, not wanting to be alone. And finally being codependent. You know, it's amazing at how at the assumptions you can make when you're just uninformed. Mm-hmm. Because if someone was to read me this list, I'd probably uh, just say, oh, it sounds like somebody that's clingy. Uh, exactly. <laughs> but the reality but the reality is it, it, oftentimes it's more deeper than what our opinions can fathom or give but do we always have that willingness to to go deeper mm-hmm. but, so yeah that, that is amazing and I love that you brought that up right because going into and I'm going a little a bit ahead of myself because I want to kind of I want us to kind of talk about intimate partner violence and domestic violence a little bit but going into why it's difficult for some people to address the trauma, right? One of them is fear of being judged and blamed, right? Mm-hmm. That goes with both childhood trauma and intimate partner violence or domestic violence, right? Like you just said, people are perceived to be clingy if they are primed for abandonment, right? Those attachment wounds are coming out. They have an anxious attachment style. They are, you know, afraid of whatever, and someone may say, mm-mm, they too clingy. They always calling me, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's how it's perceived because... And then going into intimate partner violence, right? A lot of times we, you know, people assume that with domestic violence, intimate partner violence, that it's just a physical abuse. And what people don't understand is that it's not just a physical abuse, right? Because if you punch me in my eye, I can literally see that wound. I can I can see whatever you've done. Physical abuse leaves physical marks. I can see it. I can physically feel it. Right. It is the emotional abuse 
the emotional manipulation, the gaslighting that really entangles a person. It confuses them. They don't know the reality from, they don't know the right from the wrong. It is the, well, if you would have cooked my food right, I wouldn't have hit you. It is the gifts. It is the apologies, the empty apologies, right? Mm -hmm. Making the person feel like this situation that you're in is your fault. I'm doing this to you because it's something wrong with you. That's what in, entangles the person there. But And a, a person is usually afraid to reach out because if they tell someone, it's going to be, girl, if I was being hit, I would leave, right? But right. you don't understand. And so them being afraid, it's the stigma because you don't understand. And I'm wondering what would happen if as a people, as a society, if we shifted from judgment to curiosity, Right, that I didn't call people clingy because they have wounds and they are, their attachment style is different from mine. Or if I didn't judge people because they are in a difficult relationship or they're experiencing a different trauma, what would happen if we stopped judging and shifted to curiosity, right? What would happen if we said, you know, instead of judging her because she's dating multiple people and keeps, you know, she has a different boyfriend every three months, instead of calling her fast, or saying, what's wrong with her? What if we say, you know, I wonder what her childhood was like. Mm-hmm. I wonder if her father was in her life, right? If we yeah. stop judging and shifted to curiosity about people's lives, about their stories, I'm curious to know. How, how, how would we be as a society if we could foster connection with one another instead of being so separated, right? If we started asking about people's stories, we could be much more connected. Exactly. You know, I, I the statement about shifting from judgment to curiosity speaks volumes. You know, I say often here in Chattanooga at our church that it's not really that we are often doing the wrong thing. Most of the time, we just have the wrong focus. Mm-hmm. And so we have the energy that we have a concern of what's going on except for our internal prejudice leads us to judge. Mm-hmm. But if I were to shut off my, my internal bias, maybe instead of forming a judgment like statement, I can pose a curious type question, you know, just shifting my energy from one place to the next. And, and mm-hmm. it is, and you know, it's just as simple as changing your mindset. And that's right. what the Bible says in Romans 12 too. We, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. But if I keep thinking the way I'm thinking, not only am I not helping them, I'm not helping myself mm-hmm. because I'm not, even, I'm not even growing. My therapist, Dr. Mark Shipley, you may have heard me say it before, he, he tells me that life is relentless with giving us opportunities to react and we have to choose to respond. Mm-hmm. A judgment is nothing more than a reaction. I see something I don't like and I have to go and I have to make it known that I don't like it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I have to make it known, but there's a difference between having something to say and just having to say something. Right. Me making it me making it known that I don't like it, it's just me having to say something. Mm-hmm. But if I have something to say, maybe I'll explore what is it about that that's making me not like it. So if I have a concern that oh man, I can't believe that my friend is in this situation getting punched in the eye. 
but what is it about that that's triggering me? So maybe I can ask her and maybe I can learn how I can help her, but maybe I can learn how to help myself too, because it may be something in my own unresolved trauma area mm-hmm. that sparks something in me that makes it makes me say things as such. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I totally agree. It's all about changing. Like you said, it's not that we're doing the wrong thing or it's our approach, should I say, right? It's the way we are channeling our energy towards our care for the person. Um, further reasons why I think it may be difficult for people to address trauma. Um, people don't know where to get help. Um, again, as a, as a culture of color, um, as a culture of faith, we just don't know where to go outside of the church. We don't know where do I go to get help for my trauma? <laughs> you know right. this is like you said we, we brush it under the rug and so it's like okay if I pull it out if I open this can of worms who's going to help me with this it's going to be overwhelming for me I, I don't know who to go to um we don't have access to care this could be a whole other podcast within itself um the truth is that mental health care can be expensive um there are barriers systematically with insurance, insurance sites. And so it can be difficult um, to get adequate care to, um, to, help, to help deal with trauma. Um, and then unfortunately, people blame themselves. Going back to domestic violence, right? It's mostly women, but there are men as well, but they will right. start to blame themselves. Right. You know, how did I get in this situation? Um, and then going back to, you know, the fear of that stigma, you know, people are going to judge me. How did I allow myself to end up in a situation like this? Um, how did I allow myself to get in this relationship? Sexual assault, right? Maybe I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And not to add, you know, and to add to that, society really pressures that when it comes to women, right? Well, where were you? You know, were you drinking? What did you have on? You know, there is that stigma. And so people blame themselves, they're afraid to speak. Um, and so it can be really hard to speak up and start to address this with the fear of being judged and blaming yourself. You know, that, that hurts my heart, the, the amount of truth that's in that statement, that we find us, you know, in our rationalization we somehow end in the place that of all these problems. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with with unresolved trauma and with with, you know, struggling and how to deal with it, what you just noted, uh, with with trying to, I guess, rationalize or make sense of it. How then can progress be made? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it goes to um, us having conversations. I'm always going to say that. Us having conversations as therapists, people who are passionate about health, uh, mental health care, being advocates um, so that people can start to get care. Um, of course, reaching out and going to therapy. Um and really stripping down the judgment, the blame, 
And I also want to add, and I want to, you know, speak to this for the people who are in maybe unhealthy relationships, people who are still dealing with trauma, people who find themselves repeating patterns. I want to say, and I want to make sure that people understand that trauma really, trauma physically changes your brain. Um, Our amygdala, which is responsible for emotions, memory, things like that, literally changes. Um, And so just like when we talked about substance abuse, how it's physically difficult, right? Trauma is the same way, just impacts a different part. Um, So your amygdala that's responsible for emotions, memory, your flight or flight response. You hear us often talk about like, you know, the, um, if a lion or tiger is chasing you, right, your body kind of shuts off and it, um, it's time to run, right, get out of danger. But if you're constantly in this danger zone all the time, right, you're growing up in an unhealthy environment, you're always in that flight or flight. And that's not what it's meant for. That process is meant for like a 60 second thing to get you out of danger. But if you're constantly living in that, your amygdala is always lit. And it really changes the way that you are operating, right? So going back to that list of symptoms, right? You're hypervigilant. You're always aware. You um, like those symptoms. And it really, it, it just, it changes you. It changes the way that you are impacted because you're not meant to live in flight or flight 24-7. You're meant to live in fight, fight or fight or freeze, you know, for 60 seconds, a minute and a half to just get you out of danger. And so that can really be why it's difficult or that is why it's difficult to break these cycles and get out of unhealthy situations and why you're hypervigilant because your amygdala has changed physically. Um, it's, it's overactive. Um, and so I really wanted to kind of, and I hope I explained that well, but I really wanted to kind of get some insight onto that. It's, it's not that, you know, you're just making bad decisions um, or you're just picking, you know, it's that your brain has physically changed. Yeah, I, 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 I definitely... I agree there. I mean, it's you're living life constantly on edge for something that was supposed to be momentary, like you for just survival. Said. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so yeah, I, I think that is something to note. That way, you can ask yourself, "Why am I living life like this?" 